Welcome to Mentoring Moments. Mentoring Moments is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast. It is composed of clips taken from Jason's one-to-one and group mentorship sessions. Hello, everybody. I'm here again with Ashley on one of our one-to-one mentorship sessions. She's got a really good agenda. We may not be able to get through everything today because she's got a lot of great questions on her list for me today, but we'll just work through it. We'll get through as much as we can, and then we'll shift anything that we can't get to today to our session in a couple of weeks' time. And the first one on the list there is a really interesting one, which I think is a super cool topic to talk about. You said, if I needed a Shopify developer for custom development, for example, to create Origami Cat when the page is first loading, how can I find these people? How much would this kind of thing cost? Who can do it? How long will it take? What's needed? How much will it slow the page down? The reality is that you could potentially do this with something as simple as a GIF, an animated GIF that is used at your weight state indicator. That could be, you can use animated GIFs as a weight state indicator. Any specific element loading, any specific page loading, that could be your primary weight state indicator image. The other alternative is to have it literally built out in JavaScript. And really anybody who knows JavaScript, anybody who knows the Shopify development, liquid development, they'll be able to do this for you pretty straight away. It just really depends on how you want it to work, where you want it to work, the triggers, et cetera. So I think when you're talking about freelancers that you want to just do these tiny one-off tasks, it's probably not worth engaging like with an agency because you're not going to be able, want to be on an ongoing retainer with them, et cetera. So again, I would probably just simply post to LinkedIn and say, who can recommend? Because I don't work with freelancers at all. I only work with agents. And so and that's primarily because I'm working with larger clients that are doing sort of $10, $20 million a year above. They either already have an agency that they're working with or they want me to help them find their next agency partner. So it's a little bit of a different scenario to freelance work. But I would probably post to LinkedIn and say, hey, does anybody know of of a good freelance Shopify developer that can help me with XYZ things. Uh, you'll probably get a lot of feedback there. You can also check Fiverr. You can also check Upwork. You can check. You can go ahead and check the Shopify partner directory for non-Shopify Plus uh, developers. That they, they do seem to list a fair few freelancers on their directory if they're actually a Shopify partner. So those are the ways that I would go about. Those are the ways I go about checking that out. Make sense? Yeah, totally. I'm interested in the, like the weight state indicator. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how you can adjust that and if you can adjust that? Yeah. So that, that would require a developer to do that. But basically a weight state indicator is what you usually get this sort of rotating ball looking icon. It's basically a moving icon that when a page is loading or a piece of functionality is loading, and it's taking, and you, you usually even get weight state indicators for images when it's taking a bit of time for images to load. And so you can program in what weight state indicator that you want for that. And so this is where something like an animated GIF or a custom JavaScript weight state indicator would come into play. And so that's where you'd want a developer to implement that for you on anything that takes a little bit of time to load. And sometimes, for example, if you've got a, a quiz that needs to load in the background on a page and it takes a little bit of time to load all the different elements of that particular quiz and questions, then you'll need a weight state indicator. There's just there's some complex functionality that sometimes is part of a website and oftentimes that's custom functionality and you'll need a default weight state indicator when those items are loading. Interesting. And if I say this is the term weight state indicator is new to me, I know exactly what it is. Obviously I've seen it before. 
But if I write that like in a job post or on a LinkedIn post, would most developers or would developers know what I'm talking about or would I seem clueless? Because no, that's help. a pretty that's a pretty common that's a pretty common term. You could you can call it like a loading indicator. You can call it there's different terms for it, but wait state indicator is probably one of the most common. A loading indicator, a loading icon, a page load icon. There's different there's different ways to talk about it, but yeah, weight indicator, a weight state indicator is pretty well-known term. So I think you can get away with that. Or if you just describe underneath that term, if you just describe a little bit more what you're looking to achieve, then it'll be really super clear. Gotcha. And I know obviously the budget will depend on the complexity of it, but for something like a one-off, a small one-off custom element like this, where it's it shouldn't be too complex. Like you said, I think we can do it with a GIF. Is yeah. there like a budget that I should expect to pay? Oh, look, I so think I someone's probably going to charge you. Someone's probably going to charge you like a, a minimum of an hour, a maximum of a couple of hours. So it really depends on what their hourly rate is in terms of a budget. But I would say that this should take absolutely no longer than a couple of hours worth of dev. Pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. So they should be able to do it and test it and deploy it in an hour or two. Okay, cool. And I know I don't want, obviously, page speed is important when it comes to a user experience. Is this something that could greatly increase the page load or like load time or is it pretty, pretty light? It's lightweight. And the reality is that if you have a weight state indicator that's going to get activated anyway, because there's a piece of functionality that's going to take a little bit of time to load, instead of having kind of a generic weight state indicator, what you're wanting is something that's a little bit more light and fun and interactive. And so that's that's really the only difference here. It's not You're not asking to, to implement something that wouldn't normally get used on a website. There are always pieces of functionality that require some element of a weight state indicator. And depending on the theme that you have and depending on the functionality of that theme, there's always going to be a need for a weight state indicator, a generic weight state indicator. So really what you're trying to do is just swap out a generic weight state indicator for a little bit more of a custom one. So anytime the weight state indicator is called, it, it, particularly if it's JavaScript, it's going to load the very, very first time. It's going to load the very first time the page loads, the very first time any page on the site loads. It's going to be stored in the browser cache, and then from then on, it's going to be super quick anyway. So I wouldn't worry about it too much from a page load time perspective. Cool. Yeah, that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. So if we move on, any huge, any big mistakes that new e-commerce business owners typically make, I think, I think the single biggest one that I see on a pretty regular basis is getting ahead of their skis in terms of planning for growth too much before the growth is there. I think that's one of the big things is assuming that you're going to be able to grow your business at a faster rate than what you might be able to. And so therefore, most e-commerce businesses, particularly if they're pure plays and particularly if they're startup, they're much, much harder work than people think it's going to be. And it definitely, it takes more time and it takes more money uh, to get started and get off the ground and actually start making sales than people ever think it's going to be. Maybe at one point in e-commerce, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, that may have been the case that it was pretty easy to get up and running and pretty easy to start generating traffic because it wasn't as much competition as there is now, but there's competition in every single vertical now. And some of it is very well entrenched. And so typically when a first when a new business will start up, they'll start driving traffic using meta, meta, Facebook, Amazon ads, whatever it might be, TikTok ads, whatever. And that ends up costing them a hell of a lot more money than what they think it will. And if they're trying to do it themselves, they're oftentimes not very efficient with their spend. And then hiring an agency to take that over starts becoming really expensive because they want a percentage of ad spend usually, particularly through paid channels before your SEO has a chance to really even work. 
uh, and become ranked for anything relevant to your brand. So you're really trying to drive traffic through paid channels mostly, and that can get very expensive very fast. It's an easy way to blow lots of money without making necessarily much revenue and definitely not much profitability if your unit economics are not very good. And so those are the, the, that's one thing. The second thing is your unit economics and really deeply understanding unit economics and understanding, okay, if I, if I buy at this price and I sell at this price, am I taking into account all of my cogs? Am I taking into account my overheads? Am I taking into account anything that I would like to in future pay myself so that I could get off the hamster wheel of working for somebody else? Oftentimes the total picture of unit economics a lot of brands, they don't really know how to calculate all of their costs accurately. And I think that's a really important part is understanding very deeply what your business costs, your business overheads, your operational overheads are in addition to the to just literally the cost of goods. So usually the, either the manufactured cost of goods plus logistics or your buy rate on that product from a supplier. And then obviously your logistics costs on top of that. So Look, there's some pretty good calculators online that you can look up. You can look up COGS calculators. You can look up, but there's various different business calculators you can look up to help you calculate your unit economics. But any brand that isn't looking at their unit economics pretty soon finds themselves in a place where they're selling things unprofitably or can very easily sell things unprofitably when you take into account the cost of service of customers, when you take into account the cost of goods sold. When you take into account reasonable overheads, even if you don't, for example, take a salary as a startup initially, you want to bake that into your margins so that when you do want to start taking a salary, so initially your margins, uh, your, may, your margins may be good, but your revenue may be low, in which case there's not, even with healthy margins, if your revenue is low, then there's not enough cash coming in, cash flow coming in to justify you working full-time in the business or, or the, basically the business can't afford you as a startup oftentimes. And so you've got to give yourself enough runway, particularly if you're not working outside of the business, you've got to give yourself enough runway to build up that revenue stream at a decent margin to justify your existence in the business as effectively the managing director or the GM of the business. And so those things all need to be taken into account so that when you start setting the margins on your goods from day dot, there is sufficient fat in the business model that you can be sustainable with you ultimately at some point when the revenue rises, that it's sustainable with you working in the business. Then it becomes a revenue target, not a profitability target because your profitability, you should engineer your business from day one to be profitable on everything itself. I just don't understand these businesses that, that will, but I do understand a lot of businesses will be unprofitable for a period of time intentionally to try to grab market share. But particularly in today's world, I don't think that's a viable business model. We've seen a lot of D2C brands that have taken that path and they've never been profitable and they have no pathway to be profitable. Because if they ever raise their prices to the point where they're profitable, their prices, their products will no longer be market competitive. And so I think that brands being profitable from day one should always be the goal wherever possible. I think about when I first started my business, even though it's a service business, not an, it's not strictly a, a retail e-commerce business, but I engineered my pricing to be profitable from day one. Now, revenue, when I first started out, when I only had one or two clients, of course, revenue is low, but I engineered my business to where as, as revenue grew, I would always be able to retain and be profitable on everything that I sold, right? So I think the businesses that focus on profitability in their business, sure, some businesses, particularly retail businesses, they'll always have the odd loss leader. They'll always have certain products that they make little to no margin on, but then they usually have the higher margin products that offset that and then some. So 
there's lots of strategies and there's a lot, there's been many books written on pricing strategy, but beyond pricing strategy of which there's many beyond market penetration and market entrance strategy and GTM strategy and all that, there's a lot to it, but ultimately at the end of the day, keeping it as simple as possible, focus on unit economics that allow you to be profitable from day one. Gotcha. Make sense? Yeah, for sure. Because you got to take into account things like tech costs and payment gateway costs because you're going to have to hemorrhage a few percent of margin on every transaction to the payment provider and everything else. So there's just, there's a lot, basically you need to document every single expense associated with your business and get it into a spreadsheet and start doing the math is essentially what you need to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, E-commerce optimization best practices. Are we talking SEO optimization? Are we talking technical optimization? Are we talking... Are we talking integration optimization? What uh, are we talking about all of the above? All of the above. <laughs> okay, cool. I think automation, particularly when you first start out, automation in the form of, let's say you're running Shopify, I think automation in the form of that can help you automate some of the tasks of running your website are going to be things that you're going to want to look at first. Now, typically when you're a startup, you've got more time than money. And then once you're no longer a startup, you got more money than time. And so you can then buy your way out of a lot of manual processes. Usually as a startup, you've got a ton of manual processes to the point where your orders may not even be integrated with your accounting system, for example, initially. And that that's fine because you can manually copy everything across into zero or whatever it is you're using. You can push all those across manually, but you pretty quickly want at least an integration with an accounting system so that you can at least know what your taxes are. For example, your accountant has a place to track everything and do your, whether it's GST or whatever you have in your local country in terms of sales tax, uh, and then combined with your end of quarter, end of year taxes, that sort of thing. You need a place where you're tracking revenue and you need a place where you can manage all of your responsibilities around around taxes and, and where you can manage your business bank account and all those things. And so usually somebody will be using like something like QuickBooks or Xero when they first start out just as a really basic accounting package to keep everything straight, keep their expenses tracked. I use, I use this is not strictly related to e-commerce, but I use what's called Dext. And that's an app on my phone that can track all my expenses, my business expenses. So whenever I get a receipt, I take a snapshot within Dext, a picture of that. It integrates natively with zero, so that way every time I have an expense, whether it's an online expense for a subscription or even an expense of going out and getting fuel in my vehicle, I can upload that expense to Dext. It automatically integrates and creates a bill inside zero with the attached screenshot of the receipt, um, so that way you don't have to keep the physical receipt. You just got a digital copy of the receipt in Dext that gets integrated with zero, and then you can do the reconciliation with your bank statement, which the bank statement feeds automatically into zero. Then you can do your reconciliation with both income as well as expenses. And at least you can easily reconcile all of that within your accounting package with just that tiny bit of automation. And then what I would say is you're going to want to integrate your website with either Zero or QuickBooks or whatever it is you're using as soon as possible using something like A2X or using Make.com or using some sort of middleware that can take all those sales orders coming in from your e-commerce website and integrate those into your accounting package for revenue tracking and reconciliation purposes. And because like in my case, I'm using Stripe across my website and a lot of websites obviously use Stripe and even Shopify payments is basically white labeled Stripe. So when those settlements come down, if you can reconcile those against transactions, 
then that becomes a lot easier. Some integrations will do a roll-up, like a daily roll-up. They'll push one single transactional value in against a web customer, a single customer inside your accounting package, like web-only customer, and then every single transaction gets loaded against that single customer for reconciliation purposes. I don't really like that. It becomes harder track a lot of things independently. So what I would always recommend is that you integrate customers and orders against those customers into your accounting package. And that becomes a lot easier to reconcile on a one-to-one -one basis inside your system. And then it also makes it easier to handle things like taxes. So for example, in New Zealand, if you're exporting, your customer is effectively a customer outside of New Zealand, they're zero rated for GST purposes, meaning you don't charge them GST. If you've only got a single web customer, what happens when you've got some foreign customers, some domestic customers, some transactions you're charging GST on, some transactions you're not, then the tax settings for that one web customer inside your accounting package won't be right for all customers. Although what you could do is you could set up one web customer for domestic transactions, one web customer for international transactions and manage it that way. So I've seen it done a number of different ways, but my preference is to have every single customer integrated with your accounting package and to have every single transaction loaded against that customer uh, appropriately. So that's what I did. We, I had a consultant that works with make.com integrate Squarespace with zero for me and my business and had all the correct tax settings and everything else and tax rules and all that sort of stuff, depending on the customer, whether they're a domestic customer or an international customer. And that cost me less than a grand to have that fully customized for the way that I wanted it to work. And look, I think that operational things are something that a lot of startups, particularly e-commerce startups, they don't think about the ops stuff very much. They think about the marketing stuff. They think about the branding stuff. They think about the customer experience stuff. But then it's a mad dash to try to sort out all the other operational stuff once the orders start actually flowing in. They spend so much of their time just managing the day-to-day -day operations because they have zero automation. They have zero integration. So there's some really simple basic integrations that I think most of these businesses should have from day dot. Also integration with a carrier integrator, a shipping carrier integrator. With it, down here in New Zealand, there's in Australia, there is... Starship it. There's another company called Ship It. They integrate with your e-commerce platform. They also integrate with all the local shipping carriers. And so basically all the consignments, the orders get automatically downloaded from say Shopify into Starship It. You process the orders in Starship It. You lodge the shipments inside Starshipment, Starship It. They integrate with the carriers and lodge the consignment with the carriers uh, and pull down the tracking numbers from the carriers and then push those tracking numbers back into Shopify. But they basically like that they're basically like your shipping management software. So you actually work in their interface when you're shipping orders and printing labels and pulling down tracking details from carriers. So there'll be a local equivalent where you are. Every place seems to have a local equivalent of one of these uh, carry, shipping carrier aggregator platforms. And those are usually just apps that you plug in. They're just apps that you plug in and you're up and running. And with a bit of basic configuration, they pull down orders and then they push up shipping details. So it's these types of things, instead of manually handwriting shipping labels, for example, while you're looking at an order in the back end of Shopify, manually writing those, which I did when I very first started my very first third play e-commerce business. We printed orders off in a stack and we were manually handwriting shipping labels because we weren't, we were, when you're doing five orders a day, you can do that. But even once you get up to 20 or 30 orders a day, that starts to become an absolute nightmare to manually write shipping labels. But the technology's there. It's not that expensive. So I would say that not automating the really difficult to scale elements of an e-commerce business 
not automating those things is a huge mistake I see businesses make because they want to they conserve as much money as they can, but time is money. And so I think if you can automate at least the most operationally intensive double handling type stuff in your business from day one, then I think that's just going to allow you to scale with a lot less stress. We could do a whole session just on setting up the operation side of the e-com because I can, I have experience and I can do a lot of the rest, but that is my weakness. I haven't really done like the operational side of things. So I'm really digging into, to finding out how to set everything up and how, and when to do it all. We could have a whole session just on that. Yeah, no, no question about it. I think operations are oftentimes an overlooked area of e-com startups that they pretty rapidly get themselves into strife and they think, geez, I'm doing some decent sales, but man, I'm doing 10, 12, 14 hour days doing this. And if, if I calculate my hourly for the time that I'm putting in, I'm working for minimum wage kind of thing. And that that comes down to a lack of automation and it comes down to a lack of operational efficiency and understanding and even knowing what's possible operationally to automate and how and when and in what order. You're absolutely right. That's a really mission critical piece of particularly e-commerce startups that you, where you've just got inexperienced people that they just haven't been, they haven't been an ops manager. They haven't been a CEO. They haven't been a, they haven't been a GM. They haven't, they haven't been a head of e-commerce. They haven't been a, a CDO before. So I think in those scenarios, oftentimes people that start e-commerce businesses, I would say in excess of 90% of the time that I've seen, they come from a marketing background. They don't come from an operational background and they don't come from a business background. They come from a marketing background. And, and even e-commerce managers, I would say the split in the market, at least down here in ANZ, from what I'm witnessing, I would say at least 70% of e-commerce managers come from a marketing background as opposed to from an operational or technical background. And there's so much more to e-commerce now that's technical and operational in nature that I think that's a very overlooked skill set. And I hope our industry changes. I'd love to see it get to 50-50 where sort of 50% of the e-commerce managers out there come from more of a technical and operational background and 50% come from a marketing background. Because I think businesses that don't have operational and technical savvy are operating at a disadvantage. Sure, you have to have marketing. It's, there's no question about that. Certainly from a digital marketing perspective for digital business pure play, it's mission critical. I get that. But being able to build brand, being able to build community, but also being able to build a very operationally and technically sound business from day one. So you've got a rock solid operational core that can scale. And they, at least you have a roadmap to scaling. That is such an overlooked part of e-commerce. Uh, and I see it every single day in, in my day job. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, that the operation side of things is something that I'm really interested in. And I know it's a weakness of mine, but I, I, when I do launch my business, I want to make sure that side of my business is set up correctly. So if I were to look for a consultant to teach me and educate me on how to set this up correctly, like what title or position would I look for this type of person? What you may want to look for instead of trying to find a consult, because this is the, this is exactly the kind of consulting I do. So I don't do marketing cons consultation. I do marketing consultation in the area of technical implementation and technologies that support marketing teams and what needs to happen and in which parts of the stack to get them the tools that they need to do really efficient and effective marketing from, I don't run campaigns or, or anything like that. And I focus very much on the operational and technical aspects of e-commerce. That is my specialization, particularly in the area of B2B e-commerce. But a consultant like me, I typically, because the recommendations I make tend to require some 
investment. And most brands that come to me, they're reaching a point where they're just about ready to hyperscale and they have no idea how to do that. They have no idea how to transition from a small business to a medium enterprise business to a huge business. So going from 10 million to when you as a business go from 10 million in revenue average, which is the minimum type of company that I would work with as a company doing say $10 million in revenues. There's a few other elements to my ICP, but that's a, that's the key one because then they have the resources to actually execute on the recommendations that I make to them as a business. Below that, they struggle because they're spending all their money just to survive in, in many instances, as opposed to scale. I would say that anybody who has operational experience inside an e-commerce business, let's say they've been an e-commerce manager, They've been a head of digital. They've been a CDO, a chief digital officer at some point. Anybody who is even a freelancer who has run e-commerce stores before, if they have been responsible for the operational elements of that store and organizing things like 3PLs, if they're running a 3PL or organizing their own warehouse and dispatch operations, if they're running out of their own warehouse, anybody who has had to actually help set up an e-commerce store to get it integrated with payment gateways, to get it integrated with shipping software, to get it to get those different plugins up, running, installed, configured, and operational, anybody who's done that even once before, those skills translate regardless of whether, so for example, if you're going to implement ShipIt or Starship It down here in ANZ, they are similar enough that if you've only worked with one platform, not the other, you will pick up the other platform very quickly because they operate in a very similar way. I think that anybody who has even a little bit of experience setting up a store from scratch, getting it up and running, getting it transacting, dealing with all the logistics elements, dealing with reverse logistics, getting an app installed like Loop Returns to make returns easier because you'll always have an element of returns in e-commerce whether you like it or not. So anybody from my perspective who has managed the operations of an e-commerce website before is a good candidate. So again, whether whether this is a and what you may look to do instead is to bring on a more technical coach. So it sounds like you are really passionate about the sort of sales and marketing side of the business and that's your baby that you want to own. I can tell you right now that as someone who's technical and operational in nature, I don't want to own that piece too when I have an e-commerce business, right? I want to have someone who that's what they're passionate about. So typically in, a, in an e-commerce business, the trifecta of kind of co-founders, and I've said this before, and it's, it's the same for SaaS businesses as it is for e-commerce businesses. If you can have one person that is super marketing savvy, sales and marketing savvy, brilliant. If you can have one person that is super business savvy and can negotiate contracts, can nego negotiate supply chain, can ne negotiate manufacturing, can understand all the tax ramifications and can understand, can understand unit economics, can do calculations there, can manage and maintain the finance side of the business and cash flow, profitability, all that stuff. If you can have someone that, that really knows finance inside and out, they are worth their weight in gold. And then finally, having someone who's technical and operational in nature, if you can have those three people as co-founders, whether you're a B2B SaaS business or you're an e-commerce business, I don't really care. You need those three areas very well covered if you want to have a successful business. Trying to learn the areas that you are not good in, sure, I think it's always good to learn new things. But if those things, if you're going to be depending on those things for your survival, which you are as a startup, it's sometimes better to take on co-founders who can work with you in areas that you're not strong so that you can double down in the areas you are strong. Now, I'm not saying don't learn from them. I'm saying absolutely learn from them, but taking on a couple of co-founders can often be the fastest way to success. For sure. Yeah, we have two of the three. And that, that last one that we're missing is that technical 
person, the operation side of thing. Like you said, I'm more of the sales marketing branding. And then my other partner is more of the finance negotiations. Like he's a whiz with that type of stuff. We are missing that technical person. So hence all my questions and trying to learn how to do it. Yeah. Totally makes look. We didn't get through all of your list, but I, look, I think these questions are so good because they are really topical and, and top of mind for people that maybe are thinking about setting up an e-commerce side hustle, or they let's say it's a let's say it's a new mom and she's she's now got bubs to look after at home, but she still wants to she still wants to be able to run a business. She still wants to be maybe she's quite entrepreneurial and she wants to do this as a as a, instead of going back into the workforce, maybe she just wants to do something at home that she can own and maintain and manage herself. But there's all sorts of scenarios where this type of information I think is going to be really helpful to people. Yeah. Thanks for always coming up with good questions. If you'd like to get mentored by Jason for free, head over to greenwoodconsulting.net, scroll to the bottom of the page and click get mentored by Jason.